You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney Podcast on Rivals.com with your host, the Godfather of Recruiting, Mike Farrell. <laughs> this podcast is taking a turn. And National Recruiting Analyst, Adam Gorney. We once spent a New Year's Eve together in Denny's in San Antonio, and it was really the low point of my life. That's right. Welcome into another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast. My name is Dave Barry, producer of the show, and I am joined by the stars of the show, Mike Farrell and Adam Gorney. And guys, usually I, I wait till the end to, to give ourselves a shout out on Twitter and ask for people to leave a review. But let's do that real quick at the beginning when people are actually listening. Hopefully we can get some get some traction and, and have people leave us a review. So on iTunes, uh, it definitely helps us out if you can leave the podcast a review. And then also give us a follow on Twitter, um, at Rivals Mike. That's at Rivals Mike, at Adam Gorney, and at Real Dave Barry. Um, so let's jump, jump right into our topics. We've had a lot of commitments continuing to, to go on. It was a little quiet there for a while, but definitely in the last month, um, we've, uh, we've got a lot more. We're going to talk about an a, a article that's on the Rivals site right now that's doing well, and that's uh, five stars that weren't drafted in the NFL draft. So Mike, uh, let's jump in. You wanted to talk commitments. Let's, let's start there. Yeah, let's talk about the Grayson Four. Um, you know, we, we haven't had a chance to talk about them. They committed on Tuesday. We did our amazing podcast last week on Tuesday morning, so they committed afterwards. Wanya Morris going to Tennessee. There was a lot of talk that he was going to go to Auburn. He visited Auburn like six different times over the last, uh, I don't know, month or so. Uh, but Tennessee held on to him. They had the lead for him for quite some time. That's a huge get for them. Owen Popo going to Auburn. Um, Kenyatta Watson going to Texas and Kevin Harris going to Alabama. So I know, Gorney, you asked me earlier this week for take two, which is coming out later in the week. Should Georgia be concerned? They didn't get any of these guys. These are in-state guys, Atlanta area guys. Uh, my answer to you was no, because Grayson kids don't go to, to Georgia. It's not a pipeline school for them. But um, it helps these other programs, I'll tell you this. So, you know, Wanya Morris, I think, is going to be a five-star before all is said and done in this class. Once he fills out his upper body a little bit, it gets a little bit stronger. Papo could be Roquan Smith Part 2, undersized linebacker, just tackles everything that moves. Kenyatta Watson is going to help Texas recruit the Southeast quite a bit. Um, I knew his dad when he played at Boston College way back when. I know he's a smart kid, and uh, he, he's going to be an impact guy on defense for them. And Kevin Harris, I think, is going to be Tim Williams in that uh, in that defense, just a motor guy who can come off the edge, uh, play a hybrid position. So uh, four big commitments there. We'll get to Quinn Carroll in a second, but uh, what do you think of the Grayson Four? Those are some pretty heady comparisons there, Mike. Owen Popo, the next Roquan Smith, that's a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. That's right. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to do that, but uh, I was thinking of a short, small linebacker to compare him to, and uh, I'll probably be comparing every short, small linebacker to Roquan Smith for the next five years. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, you know, I think Wanya Morris to Tennessee is huge for Jeremy Pruitt to take him basically away from Auburn where his teammate was going. I think that's big. You know, commitments, uh, what month is it? May. That's a long way away, even from the early signing period, and these SEC schools aren't going to stop. But, yeah, for the average fan to see four players from Grayson not, and none of them go to Georgia, you know, D'Angelo Gibbs is from that school, I believe, and he went to Georgia. But other than that, it really has been nobody. Everybody else has gone 
elsewhere. So it wasn't a major, major surprise, and Georgia's doing just fine, and I think will continue. Uh, you know, I've never seen Popo in person yet, which is hard to believe because he's been everywhere and, you know, all, all of our events and stuff like that. But I'm very interested to see. I think that's huge for Auburn. But I think the biggest one is Wanya Morris going to Tennessee. It's, you know, a, a possible five-star, you know, let's say probable. I think that's pr pretty fair to say. A very talented kid. Uh, to, to commit to a school with a new coaching staff that has struggled mightily in the SEC. They didn't win one conference game last year. I think that's a huge commitment for those guys. Yeah, let's talk about Texas a little bit too because I believe Texas has now a four-star uh, California commitment and a four-star Georgia commitment. So uh, not only are they focusing on you know, the, the, their home state, but uh, they got DeGabriel Floyd, is, you know a lot about him, obviously, the linebacker. Um, and now they've got Kenyatta Watson. So they're starting to recruit more nationally, and I think that's going to help. You know, that they certainly can recruit California. They can certainly recruit the Southeast. Uh, it's important to recruit the Southeast. Tom Herman worked under Urban Meyer, so he knows that he's got to get into the Southeast. So Kenyatta Watson, not the most important commitment when it comes to talent, He's a very talented kid, don't get me wrong. Uh, I had him rated this way. Um, I had him rated Wanya Morris, number one, just like you did. Uh, then Papo, number two. Then Watson, and then Kevin Harris. And the only reason Kevin Harris is number three is because he's so skinny. He, he just needs to fill out. But uh, Kevin Harris could be the best out of all four of these guys because I have never seen a motor like that. He was at the Future 50 and uh, just... just went through every drill at 125% and just jumped up ready to go again and just nonstop movement. Uh, and when you get a kid like that, you can't teach that. Um, so when he fills out, and obviously Alabama kind of produces those hybrid guys pretty well, he could be the best of the group. But, um, but second this week uh, is Quinn Carroll for Notre Dame. So We'll talk about the Mike McGlinchey comparisons. I think they're, you know, just like every small, uh, smallish, six foot one, 220 pound linebacker is going to be compared to Roquan. Every six foot five and a half, 280 pound offensive tackle that goes to Notre Dame is going to be compared to McGlinchey. He's bigger and stronger than McGlinchey at the same stage. Uh, but you can't ignore the comparisons. I like Quinn Carroll a lot. Uh, I don't think this is a big surprise at all. I think from the beginning we felt that he was probably going to go to Notre Dame. But uh, that's a huge commitment for them as well. Um, so, you know, I've got four of the four of the Grayson kids in my top six, and Quinn Carroll is the only one who breaks them up there along with Braden Huffman-Dixon who's going to Colorado, who's going to be wide receiver, but could also play multiple other positions. So um, you've got Tennessee adding talent, Notre Dame adding a key offensive tackle, Auburn adding maybe Roquan part two, uh, and Papo's, you know, called the freak, and he's been around since seventh grade and is one of those guys who just doesn't seem to get bigger. So that's a question mark. Uh, I'm not sure how big he's going to get. But when Roquan came out, I was like, I wasn't shot in the butt about him that much because it was one of those things where we had him as a top 100 player. He was a top 100 talent, but I was like, eh, you know, this kid going to UCLA is not going to be a big loss for Georgia because, remember, he committed to UCLA. He was going to sign there. Uh, 
Like it's, yeah. it's not going to be a big loss for them. Imagine if he went to UCLA. I bet you he would have been half the player he is. I, I just really think he wouldn't have got the guidance and, and wouldn't have really flourished the way he did at Georgia. You don't think he would have been Miles Jack 2.0? No, I don't. Uh, you know, again, a lot of it is self-motivation, and Roquan has a, a ton of that. Uh, but when you play for a team that doesn't seem to give a crap about anything, uh, I think the reason Miles Jack was so invested is because they let him play offense. Um, and, and they let him do whatever he wanted to do. And so Miles Jack was able to, you know, be a guided missile on defense, play running back, and, you know, sort of keep himself interested while the rest of his teammates sort of, as typical of UCLA, didn't care. Um I don't know what they would have done with Roquan. I just don't think they would have developed him the way he developed. And again, remember, he, he really had a, a great last season. He was good, yeah. but he took it to the next level this past season. And that happened to be the season that Georgia was competing for a national championship. So he stepped up his game um, and became a much better football player when games got more important. And I'm trying to think of the last important game at UCLA. I know. And the thing is, that, and what I've really kind of learned through this draft process, especially this year, more than in previous years that we've done this when, you know, we've been following this, is that the NFL teams, more than anything, it seems, care more about production than physical size. Um, if a guy is a little small at linebacker but flies around and makes plays everywhere, like Roquan Smith, he's going to go before Tremaine Edmonds, who looks better. You know, Baker Mayfield is not prototypical NFL quarterback size, and he's going to Cleveland, and he has small hands and all the all the things that, you know, the draft analysts seem to care about. The NFL teams just don't seem to care about anymore as much. Uh, if a wide receiver, you know, D-backs, all the first-round D-backs, you know, Minka was the biggest one at six foot. Um, everyone else was in the fives. So, you know, the those I think the days of... You have to be a 6'3 cornerback, or you have to be a 6'5 quarterback, or you have to be a receiver that's you know looks like Julio Jones. I'm not going to say that they're gone, but I think as we look at our evaluations, we should look much more at you know, the production of players and how that projects long-term than just prototypical size. Like Roquan Smith was a top-10 pick. Everyone knew he was small. Everyone knew he was undersized, and, and they didn't seem to care because he went all over the field and made plays. So, little quiz for you here. I'm, I'm working on a project here. So, since 2013, which program has hurt Georgia the most by taking away four and five stars uh, from the Peach State? Uh, off the top of my head, I'd guess Clemson. New. No, it, is, it is Auburn. And, um, mm. you know, they do a really good job of recruiting the state of Georgia. And Popo it's just another one. Um, you know, they've already got one to, for 2020 in Kobe Hudson as well. So, you know, it didn't surprise me that it was Auburn. When you think of Montrevious Adams and Carl Lawson and, and you know, all Kim those Deech, guys. Not, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not Kim, not Kim Deechee, but, um, you know. Uh, Carl Lawson, yeah. Carl Lawson and Darius Slayton and, you know, a bunch of other guys that they've got. Derek Brown, Antoine Jackson, even though he transferred – um, yeah, there are a bunch. But huh? Clemson wasn't, they weren't two. I thought there would be two. Guess who's number two? Hmm. Similar to Clemson, except they don't win national championships, uh, nor do they beat Clemson in their annual rivalry game. 
South Carolina. There you go. How's that for a hint? It's <laughs> a pretty good hint right there. But they've had 21, which is right behind Auburn. So they've done a wow. really good job recruiting, and then Clemson at 18, and then they've got a big drop-off to Tennessee at 11. And Alabama only nine, except they've got three this year alone. So they're starting to hit Georgia. I think Nick Saban's a little bit ticked off. You know, he's lost some decommitments to Kirby Smart. Kirby's his mentor. I mean, he's Kirby's mentor. I think he's starting to get a little bit ticked off, and I think you're going to start to see him do a lot more damage in the state of Georgia than he has in the past, especially after last recruiting year where they were not uh, number one, nor were they a threat to be number one at any point in time. I think you're going to start to see Alabama really kick it up there. So, Braden Huffman-Dixon to Colorado, I mentioned. Uh, uh, Ramir Johnson, Nebraska. This is a kid who is dynamic, a perfect fit for what Scott Frost likes to do uh, because he can catch the football. He can work out of the slot. He can, uh, you can use him on reverses. You can use him on inside handoffs. You can um, get him outside, have him make people miss. Uh, that's a huge commitment for Nebraska this past week. And then Quaylen Jones to Baylor, uh, not your typical Baylor running back. You think of Baylor and track guys and, you know, 10, 300-meter guys. He's a big downhill running back who's got good feet and, and sneaky speed, but not a burner. Uh, so he was a big pickup for them as well. And then then it got a little bit... Uh, Got a little bit tough after that because it was mostly three stars. So I went with Carson Barnhart for Michigan, offensive lineman, because that's such a big, important need for them. And then DJ Dale for Alabama. So some big commitments. The Grayson Four, though, kind of stole the thunder uh, and all the attention of everybody else and overshadowed Quinn Carroll a little bit. So uh, real, Real quick on Texas, Mike, are you concerned for Texas that all the top wide receivers in the state went elsewhere. Obviously, Weiss Henderson bridges to Oklahoma, which is going to hurt them over the long term, I think. But then Garrett Wilson picking Ohio State over Texas. Urban giving a little bit of a teacher. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Wilson has ties to, you know, Ohio. So it wasn't a huge surprise that he decided to go back home. Um, It does hurt, yeah. They're going to have to get guys elsewhere. Uh, but they got Jordan Whittington, who I love, absolutely love. Mm-hmm. I know some people look at him as a safety. I look at him as a wide receiver. He's 6'1", 205. He's built like a running back. Uh, he's not a big guy as far as separation is concerned, but he catches everything. So I think they're very happy with him as a potential wide receiver. And they'll, they'll get guys, but it certainly hurts that Oklahoma, uh, and I'm running this tomorrow, by far, not even close, the one team that hurts Texas and Texas A&M the most from out of state is Oklahoma. Not even close. They've, since 2013, they've had 31 four- or five-star prospects choose Oklahoma. Uh, the next closest is LSU, and they've had 14. So Oklahoma is that team that can go in there and take a P. Ryan or a Rodney Anderson or a C.D. Lamb um, and just hurt Texas and Texas A&M. And, of course, you know, uh, TCU and Baylor and, and the rest of them. So, um, yeah, I'd be a little concerned. I mean, already 
the four stars and five stars from Texas that have chosen Oklahoma this year. You mentioned Weiss, you mentioned Henderson, you mentioned Bridges, Stogner, Austin Stogner, Jamal Morris, yeah. uh, Ndoma Ogar, who just committed, I think, a, a week and a half ago. Uh, they're, yeah. they're killing it in Texas. They're doing a better job than Texas or Texas A&M recruiting the state of Texas right now. But that's kind of the way it works. They, they just were in the playoff again. They have a Heisman Trophy winner. Their their guy just went number one overall in the NFL draft. They've got a lot of momentum for their program. And, and when you think of the Big 12, the best program by far, not even close, is Oklahoma right now. So they should be right. recruiting this well. So let's talk about Quinn Carroll at Notre Dame. Uh, let's not forget McGlinchey was also 6'8 in high school. It's not like he really grew all that much. He, he added a ton of weight at Notre Dame, but he was a big kid. So I don't know if that comparison's fair, but I'll say this about Notre Dame. I think it's going to help tremendously that Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey went so early in the first round. I think they're going to get a lot of those big, tough Midwest kids. And, and obviously the other, you know, McGlinchey and Nelson from Jersey. I think it's going to help big time, especially the way they ran the ball last year and uh, putting those two guys in the first well, round. Oh, Ronnie Stanley too couple years ago and ronnie stanley and and yeah and ronnie stanley who i who i'll say to this day in high school was not that great uh i saw him a bunch of times he got pushed around a lot he went to notre dame and became a real man and and all three of those guys uh were first round draft picks and stanley was definitely a project coming out of bishop yeah Warren, it'll so. it'll help their recruiting for sure of course they did lose iced and uh you know to the nfl which hurts mm-hmm. um but kids look at where kids are going in the NFL draft. And yeah. that's where you're going to see an uptick for Notre Dame when it comes to offensive linemen. And you've already seen it. You know, Carroll was a lean towards Notre Dame, but pulled the trigger there. And, uh, you know, they keep developing him because uh, obviously they've got a pretty good offensive guard with the Dallas Cowboys as well who played uh, at, uh, at Notre Dame too. So they've – you know, when we did that O-line U thing, the thing with it was we did, we weren't including guys that were being drafted. So we we couldn't include Quentin Nelson and, and Mike McGlinchey. But next year we can. They'll both be in the NFL. You throw Ronnie Stanley and Zach Smith and some other players in there, and you've got yourself, you know, a team that's going to be mentioned for O-line U. How about Jake Fromm's brother going to Auburn? Yeah, I think Auburn fans are like, I wish we got the the good one. You know, <laughs> I mean, no offense, but they, you know, and they're happy with Stidham. But uh, you know, it's it's always interesting to see he, w- he clearly wasn't recruited that heavily, at least in my opinion, by Georgia, or else he would have gone right. there. But um, you know, it's always interesting to see that the lesser talented brother goes to a different program and how that pans out, um, you know, that's the first thing I thought of. And, you know, that, that maybe people get upset about that thought itself, but I can't help what goes through my mind when I see these things. And the first thing I thought was, oh, well, it would have been nice if we got the other one. But <laughs> Auburn's doing fine, and they're setting themselves up for a really good recruiting year, as is Alabama. I mean, Georgia's going to have a really good recruiting year, I think. I think the teams that are going to get hurt here, maybe Florida and some others, because I think there's a few programs ready to load up in the Southeast. And, uh, um, you know, it's going to be one of those years where uh, somebody's going to suffer 
I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know if it's Florida, maybe it's South Carolina, um, you know, maybe it's Tennessee, although Wanya Morris was very important. But somebody's going to have a disappointing year because I'm looking at a few programs that are just set to load up. Yeah, and and another thing we should mention in the SEC before we move on is uh, Jimbo Fisher. Active again, he's back at it, 12 commitments. Uh, went to Pennsylvania for a linebacker. Uh, obviously got Kenyon Jackson, another uh, Loganville kid, and and doing well in the state. So uh, it seems like he's woken up in his new in his new home and is is doing pretty well there. Yeah, and he's going to recruit the Southeast well. Uh, also, you know, he recruited a lot of these kids at, while he was at Florida State. Uh, Florida State recruited the Mid Atlantic very well. They recruited the Southeast very well. So you're not just going to see Texas kids uh, for this entire class. You're going to see them recruit nationally. Um, there were a few kids that I talked to at the New Jersey camp, you know, from the Mid-Atlantic area that said they're interested in Texas A&M. And you never heard that mm. before, ever. Um, now, can they make a living doing that? They can spot recruit it. They're certainly not going to fill their whole class there. They've got to hit Texas and hit it good, and they've got to compete with Oklahoma and Texas for those uh, big-time kids at, at home. But they can certainly add a few here and there uh, it certainly doesn't hurt and when he was at florida he did an okay job recruiting texas he got marvin wilson uh mario edwards of course edwards father had a connection to florida state but you know the guy could recruit there's no doubt about it whether he can coach that program up which is a program that really hasn't won anything um that's the big question can he take them to the next step because a lot of people think they're the sleeping giant you know everybody's the sleeping giant but a lot of people think texas a&m is a sleeping giant in the sec yeah they uh at, at right after that marvin wilson year which was i believe two years ago now it all mixes together um florida state had more number one players from the state of texas than texas did during the rivals era which is hard to believe that's because charlie strong was in charge <laughs> charlie was not recruiting very well so no. um, Tom Herman will take care of that and change that, and they'll get theirs at Texas. Uh, I think if I'm a Texas fan, I'm a little concerned um, right now about Oklahoma, but, um, you know, I think it, it, it'll all work itself out in the end. In 2020, 2021, Texas will do just fine, if not in 2019. Again, a lot of these are early commitments. A lot of these guys have committed, I mean, R.J. Henderson's on his third commitment, so yeah. you just you, you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, Texas could come out, surprise everybody, win the Big 12, and then you get three kids that flip. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, but you never know in college football. So let's look at the article a little bit about the 2013 kids that didn't make it, the five stars. People love this stuff. It was a very popular article. I mean, we, we have articles that run on Sundays and Saturdays and weekends. People aren't on Rivals.com. They have lives. They're actually outside enjoying the weather, especially during the summer and <laughs> spring. And they're not sitting there clicking like they are when they're at work on weekdays where they're just, you know, not working a, a lick and, uh, and clicking on our stuff all the time. This thing blew up. I mean, it just blew up for a Sunday morning when I put it out. It just, everybody was looking at this. And the reason they looked at it is because they love to look at failures. They love to point out the guys that 
we got wrong, you know, and some of these guys got in trouble. Max Redfield ended up at uh, Indiana University of Indi Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, yeah. You know, got himself in trouble. Um, Ty Isaac got homesick, transferred back. I never really liked Ty Isaac as a five-star. I know you didn't either. Um, mm. Mike Mitchell just transferred. Like, yeah, didn't like football apparently. Well, freak, absolute that, freak. You remember him at the opening? Athletic that year? freak at Army. The opening and then at Army, we were like, this kid, this kid's going to Ohio State, and Irvin's going to make him a pro. Yeah, and, and then he transfers God, that did and not does happen. nothing. Frank Heron yeah. was me. That was all my fault. He stuck with LSU. He had a solid career, but never lived up to five star status. Thomas Tyner. Remember the debate with Thomas Tyner? Every offseason he was hurt. He had a track injury. Every offseason. Yep. He had some sort of track injury. Did he love football? Then he'd come out and put up a 10-touchdown game like he did to set the record. Uh, so fast and big that you're like, got to make this kid a five-star. If he ever cares about football, he's going to be great. And he never cared about football and transferred to Oregon He never State cared about football. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Matthew Thomas had a solid career, not a great career. Um, he was suspended as well. <clears throat> that certainly never helps when you're suspended for a year. And then Max Brown just stunk. It's just the way it is. Yeah, that one was on me. Max Brown is interesting because on film, Max Brown was a five-star, and he was just dishing and dicing all over the field on film. And then you'd see him in person, and it'd be like, yuck. You know, he'd just be slow processing. He'd, yeah. he'd be a second late in seven-on-seven. Seven. I remember whether it was the opening or our event, the five-star challenge, I can't remember which, but he had like, I think he had like six sacks or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you just don't have sacks in seven on seven when they when the time runs out, and he just couldn't make a decision. And I'm like, hmm. But we stuck with that five star ranking. We believed in the film, and that's what people say. Camps don't mean anything. It's all about film. Well, you know what? Not always. For Max yeah. Brown, based on film, he was a five star. Based on in person. If you told me that kid was a five-star, I'd say that he's a low three. Low three. So he didn't pan out. There was always there was always rumors about Max Brown that he was from Washington and Sark was the coach at Washington at that time, and apparently that Sark wasn't really going all that hard after him. And, and I thought that was a mistake. And he had gone to USC, you know, a pro-style offense. I thought he would fit in well. In high school, he was all shotgun, dishing it out, throwing it all around, and it seemed to come out quickly obviously Washington competition is a lot slower than Pac-12 football but yeah even even when he transferred to Pitt uh he didn't he didn't have a great performance he just everything was slow everything was methodical and he couldn't get the ball out so that was definitely a miss on my part and then the 2014 we're doing the 2015 tomorrow and there's not that many 2015s but 2014 Quinn Blanding that makes no sense to me whatsoever. He had 492 career tackles, which is the second highest in ACC history. Um, I don't know. I, I, he the he never recorded less than 115 tackles. He wasn't an early entry guy. He was a four-year guy. Um, yeah. I, I just can't figure this one out. Now again, did he test well at the combine? No. But he had no off-field stuff. High character kid. Uh, I guess they were just worried that he couldn't cover. He couldn't cover. Um, and he did have some problems with coverage as well. So, you know, that's what happens. But I think he's going to be a guy that 
might stick. Kyle Allen. I think Kyle Allen came out early, and I still can't figure out why. I guess because he lost his job at Houston. But Well, that can't be a good sign. I mean, if you can't win the Houston quarterback job, what makes you think you can make an NFL roster? And I remember when he started at Texas A&M, um, you know, he took the job from Kenny Hill, who had set records and trademarked his nickname. And then Kyle Allen took the job, and I'm like, this kid's going to be a star. And then he threw the, yeah. the three picks against Alabama. I think two of them went back for touchdowns. Never the same quarterback since then. Lost his job to Kyler Murray and the whole political uh, crap that Sumlin allowed to happen. Um, and just never got his confidence back. But I thought he was going to be one of the top picks in the NFL draft, like a first-rounder. I mean, he had everything. Yeah. And then it's it's amazing how quickly you can fall. So he falls through the cracks. Rock Thomas, I was never a big Rock Thomas five-star guy. Uh, you know, sort of outvoted on that one. Um, he ended up transferring to, I think, what, Jacksonville State or something like that. Yes. Didn't work yes. out for him. Trey Williams had a very average career, but not a bad career, but an average career at Auburn. I'm surprised nobody picked him late in the seventh round. Tony Brown, track guy. Uh, out of Texas for Alabama. Usually Alabama kids are drafted. In this case, his lapses in coverage. Uh, he was the worst player on defense. Uh, that year they had that amazing, amazing defense with uh, Jonathan Allen and, and the rest of the gang there. So he never got drafted. And then Ermon Lane, that was my fault. I should have never had Ermon Lane as a five-star. <laughs> I, I fell for it at the end. He couldn't catch, couldn't catch the ball at all. And then at Under Armour week, he caught everything. And I'm like, okay, he yeah. solved his problems. He can catch the ball now. And he's a long strider, <laughs> big kid, you know, 6'2". I'm like, yeah, okay. It just just starting to hit his peak. And he ended up playing defense uh, some in offense and never got drafted. And I don't think he'll catch on either. So those are the, the big – that's a lot of five stars that didn't get drafted. It really is a lot. And – like I said, tomorrow we're running the 2015 kids. Um, I think there's only a few of those, but it's just really weird to see. But really, there's no excuse. Like the only one I'm like stunned at is Quinn Blanding. Everybody else, you could say they didn't get drafted. I'm like, well, they didn't deserve to get drafted. Yeah, well, safety is not a very highly drafted position to begin with. Um, only two in the first round. If and Terrell Edmonds was one. But if you look down this list, I mean, would you rather Quinn Blanding on your team or Tracy Walker from Louisiana Lafayette, Tarvaris Moore from Southern Miss, uh, some kid from Yale named Foye Saad Olukun, I, I, Deshaun Elliott from Texas, who's had an average career, if you well, ask me. Well, he got in trouble, too, uh, I think. I think he got in yeah. trouble. Um, uh, you know, Jordan Whitehead from Pitt, who was a highly rated recruit, but... I mean, uh, Quinn Blanding is a very talented kid, and I think he got picked up by the Redskins. He right? Did. I think he's gonna, yeah. I think he's gonna make that team, and I think it's gonna be a very smart undrafted free agent pick. We'll see. I mean, I that's all I can see happening. I I just can't see anything else happening. I, I, he's, it's not gonna be a kid that's out of the NFL. Um, he's just too smart. You know, he's a smart kid, and he's not a poor athlete. He reminded me out of high school of Keenan Allen a little bit um, at the same sort of mannerisms and the same way of running and, and you know it wasn't as fluid or as athletic as Keenan Allen but reminded me of that type of guy who could play offense if he wanted to 
Um, so, anyways, those are the guys that didn't make it. Um, I'm sure many of them were disappointed that they didn't get drafted, and they'll sign their free agent contracts, and we'll see who, who makes it. But that article was very, very popular just because people love to point out when we suck. And, uh, and it's also important to note that it's probably better to be taken as an undrafted free agent than late in the seventh round, right? Because you have your options of teams, which fit is best for you if you have multiple offers. If you're picked in the seventh round, you're, you're locked in on a team, and there's no guarantee you're making that squad, right? No guarantee. You are locked in. And as a free agent, you can sort of pick and choose. If there's more than one team interested in you, you can pick and choose which team you want to sign with. And, you know, yep. the big disadvantage now, though, is the full roster goes until the cut date. It used to be cut-down dates. So, like, they would right. cut down the roster, and then a couple weeks later they cut down the roster, and... Now there's one cut day, so you still kind of are stuck with that team. Quinn Blanding will be stuck with Washington until the one cut date, and then if he gets cut, he has very little time to pick up another football team. Um, right. So I don't like that change at all. I think that's a disadvantage for kids, but, you know, who am I? What do I know? <laughs> so other than that, what's this uh, – Cold shoulder thing we're, we're looking at here. Oh, Mason Rudolph gets drafted by the Steelers, and, uh, you know, ben, Big Ben is talking about how they should draft somebody that could help the team now, and Joe Flacco hasn't talked to Lamar Jackson yet. Those guys better be nervous because those guys could, uh, you know, Joe Flacco isn't exactly lighting up the Baltimore Ravens scoreboard, and I think they're going to get Lamar Jackson on the field this year. They're talking about how um they'll use them in some packages and running packages and designed runs and it'll be interesting to see how that works mason rudolph could be the quarterback for the steelers down the road i don't think roethlisberger is going anywhere but uh no he came out Lamar and said Jackson he's gonna play three to five more years because you know they drafted him and sometimes <laughs> you have to do that to wake a guy up i mean roethlisberger for every year for the last couple of years has been saying oh i'm beat up my body can't take this i don't know if I'm going to play this year, you know, he started to do the Brett Favre yeah. thing. So, right. you know, okay, you want to talk that way, we'll take a quarterback in the second round. Oh, all of a sudden, I'm going to play three to five more years. Uh-oh, now you've woken up, <laughs> you know. Uh, I think Flacco is a very serviceable quarterback, but certainly not a superstar. But um, is, did he win a Super Bowl? Flacco, uh, yeah, didn't John Harbaugh win one and Jim didn't? Yeah, and it was Flacco was the quarterback because they won two. They won with uh, they won with Dilfer too, right? Dilfer, yeah, but I think that was pre-John Harbaugh, wasn't it? Yeah, that was Brian Billick. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So you know, Super Bowl winning quarterback, just like Roethlisberger, but I don't know. I, I I'm still not sold on Lamar Jackson as a quarterback. Quarterback, you know, I can see packages being put in there. And having him be a very, very dangerous guy, I, I, I think he'll be figured out. I think the thing with it is when Colin Kaepernick, and I think Greg Roman is with the Ravens, who was the guy who was the offensive genius behind Colin Kaepernick when Colin Kaepernick was really good. You remember that playoff mm-hmm. season where no one could figure Kaepernick out at all? Right, just impossible. Right. You you know 
you try to contain him uh, by, you know, staying in your lanes. You couldn't over pursue in a pass rush because he'd just run uh, at will. He was awesome. And then the next year he got figured out. Um, and I think that could happen. I think Lamar Jackson could be awesome. I think he could be a nightmare for defenses in certain packages. But then I think eventually he'll be figured out unless he learns how to throw from the pocket. So, and, and you know, at the NFL level, that's going to be very difficult for him because there's a lot of progressions. There's a whole lot of uh, field vision that he hasn't really shown. There's a lot of accuracy issues that he has. So we'll see. But, yeah, Flacco, the, the thought is Flacco will have this year as the final year as a starter, and then they're going to throw it over to Lamar Jackson. Um, I'm not sure how great a plan that is, but he is a first-round quarterback, so that's what you do. And, uh, yeah. you know, Rudolph's a, uh, he's, he's a second-rounder, so, you know, you don't throw it over to him, especially when you've got a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, under so let's center. quickly touch on those. Let's quickly touch on this on the five that were taken. Mayfield, he won't start this year, right? Hugh Jackson came out and said Tyrod Taylor's the starter. Yeah, and Mayfield unfortunately is going to suck at Cleveland just because he's it's the, Cleveland. He's the perfect choice to suck. Like if he went to the Jets, I think he'd be successful. But yeah. you know, everything about that pick. Oh, we picked a guy who's vertically challenged, who has a temper problem, who doesn't like to lose, and he's going to an 0-16 football team. Um, yeah. So he's not going to play, no. Darnold starts? I think they want him to. I mean, they're really – Todd Bowles is talking about Darnold like he's, you know, Johnny Unitas, like he's going to be a uh, Hall of Famer and all this other stuff. So who do they got, Mc, McNown? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's not. I don't think they want Darnold to be thrown in there from day one, but I think he will. I think he will start. I think he's the one who gets on the field the earliest out of everybody. Josh Allen? Who do they have? Let me see. Um, well, they have uh, Peterman, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it can't be Peterman. No. <laughs> do, do they have pick down? I can't. Keep track of uh, the Bills. Hold on, I'm I'm getting to it right now. Uh, the the Bills have Josh Allen, AJ McCarron, and Nathan. Peterman. Oh no, they just picked up uh, AJ McCarron. So I think AJ McCarron will be their guy. He's a serviceable quarterback, sort of a system guy. I think he'll be fine because I don't think Josh Allen's any close to ready to be starter in the NFL right now. So I think AJ McCarron will be the guy there. The Jets have Teddy Bridgewater, but who who knows what's going on with that? Um, it seems like there's all kind of turmoil there. Josh McCown and then your boy Christian Hackenberg. Yeah, who hasn't started a game ever. Um, and then, of course, you've got Bradford, who's going to be the starter in Arizona. I'm not so sure about that yeah, one. Yeah, he'll get hurt. And then Rosen will get in. So I think right now the guys that will get in the earliest when it comes to starting an actual NFL football game are uh, Darnold and Rosen. Which will be fun, yeah. Because those are the two rivals, and those are the two guys that we compare the most. So, who was it? Uh, I think it was Justin Herbert or something. Was the guy that people compare Darnold to? 
for next year's college football. But I, I was more like Stidham. Stidham can't move. He's sort of a statue, whereas Darnold can move. But I think yeah. Stidham's going to have a big year next year. I just I was never a huge fan of the hype coming into this past season because he was you know high on the Heisman Trophy list and you know he hadn't played since Baylor you know a couple of years prior. Um, but I think after what he's learned this past season, I think Stidham's going to have a really good year. Yeah, very, very talented kid, that's for sure. And I, I do remember that he had that big spring game, and everybody was like, welcome to the Jarrett Stidham era. And then it was like, all right, everybody calm down. Yeah, and he had more um, good games than he had bad games. I mean, he had the, the Clemson game was a nightmare, and he didn't finish the season that strong. But he's had many more good games than he had bad games. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's the five. So I think we're done. Yeah, I think we're done with this podcast, too, because I don't really want to talk about anything else. Yeah, I'm spent. What are you spent from? <laughs> Listening to you for 40 minutes. <laughs> it has been 40 minutes. I think that's nice, short, sweet. We talked about recruiting. We did our job. Talked a little bit about the draft. Yesterday, I popped out a couple amazing tweets. Hot takes. I don't know if you guys noticed them, but Fritos being Hot better than Doritos. Did you see that? No, Chili I, cheese Fritos or just regular Fritos? I, I said Fritos. I did not reference exactly. I'm not going Cool Ranch versus Chili Cheese. It's just Fritos are better than Doritos, period. I saw, uh, they're too salty. I like Doritos more. I saw you said LeBron or MJ. I did ask <laughs> so, that question. I, I'm, it's always nice to see you at the forefront of a hot debate like that. Mike. Yeah, well, I, no one's yeah. else. No one else has ever asked that question, so I figured right. I, uh, I'd ask it. Because every time I ask that question, I get like a thousand answers, and it yeah. inter- LeBron or MJ. It, it, it entertains me to no end. It really does. Oh yeah. People get real fired up about that. They do, and I just throw it out there because I just want to see all these all these responses it's like it's not it's not that i'm looking for an answer i mean i come from the michael jordan era so obviously i'm leaning towards michael jordan but the answers are just amazing so i just sat back and there was 121 people that have answered that question so far and i'm sure there's many more and then you get the idiots who'd answer like adam morrison you know, you should you, today. You should do best breakfast cereal, and if anybody says anything but fruity pebbles, they're wrong. All right, I'm doing it right now. Hold on. <laughs> I, I think Luck, people lucky, lucky charms or fruity pebbles. People underestimate. I like cocoa pebbles. <laughs> best breakfast cocoa cereal. pebbles are good because it, it, <laughs> it, the key with it makes the cereal like chocolate milk, so you get like a bonus at the end. The key with cereal is you have to let it sit for about 15 minutes to get it really soggy and then eat it and then drink the milk. That's only with Fruity Pebbles and Cocoa Pebbles, though. Not everything. No. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is great that way. Mm, yeah. But you can't do that with, like, Fra- Apple Jacks. Apple Jacks taste... They suck when you do that. No, I like it all like that. Well, you should stop eating cereal, as Dallas Jackson once I know. said. I know. Should I have a steak? I really want a steak tonight. Well, you should probably have a salad. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I put it out there. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the right answer. We've already got our first answer. So 
I'll just sit here and entertain myself all day long by asking <laughs> stupid questions on Twitter and listening to the. Now I've got two Cinnamon Toast Crunch and one Lucky Charms. Now Lucky Charms is not up there. Frosted Flakes is up there. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Fruity Pebbles. Mm, I'm Honey Nut Cheerios. I'm a big Count Chocula guy. Uh, that's that's not bad either. I'm, I, and you know, Boo Berry turns your poo blue. Frankenberry, yeah. You know that, right? <laughs> you, I'm not so sure about that. What? It green, green or blue? If you eat booberry, have like three bowls of booberry, your poo turns blue. <laughs> well, three bowls, for God's sakes, you'd be in a diabetic coma. Well, uh, yeah, like you're sitting there having one bowl of fruity pebbles. Please. <laughs> Depends on the size of the bowl. The fact that you guys don't know that it turns your poo blue really upsets me honestly <laughs> do you have, did you also know do you have fillings like metal no. metal fillings in your mouth no you guys are too young for that yeah if you chew tin foil and you have metal fillings it's one of the top three most painful experiences of your entire life okay. yeah so I'm giving you that as well I have a ton of metal filling but poo blue booberry Metal fillings, tinfoil. All right, I got to go wrap it up, Dave. All right. Well. I think I ended this more entertaining than the beginning. I mean, Juan, Juan Morris or turning true. your poo blue? <laughs> Take your pick. 